2 Corinthians, verses 12 to 18. We do not dare to classify and compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come, in, come to you. For we didn't get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow and expand, so we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but one whom the Lord commends. Thanks, Freddie. Uh, if you want to follow that reading, it's, that was 2 Corinthians 10, 15. Uh, let me tell you about my first job. Uh, after finishing studying pure mathematics and theoretical computation engines at Warwick University, I ended up with my first job. Now, that, that was probably slightly different from any plans I'd had previously for two reasons. Firstly, I realised there was no good reason for me to have studied pure mathematics and theoretical <laughs> computation engines because there were very few jobs out there for people with those skills. And the second reason was that I became a Christian at university. And so my whole outlook on life and my plans and thoughts for the future changed. So my first job was at a church called Holy Trinity Coventry. And it might even just click on me. Uh, so that's the church building there. I didn't take that photo. I'm not sure how you could have done. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, uh, and that church, Holy Trinity um, Coventry, was my first job. And my job there was verger. Now, if, I, if you don't know what a verger is, it's like a glorified caretaker. Uh, you're also like the keeper of keys. I had 132 keys in my charge, and 47 of them I had to have with me at any one time. So it meant I could never, ever sneak up on anyone, and anyone that needed to find me knew where I was, because there was just like this jingling noise somewhere. Oh, there Christian is. There's the sound of the keys. And then I got to do like a little bit of internship and church work uh, in that job, and I did that job for two years. I got to live in a, a, a medieval house, you can't quite see it, it's behind, not that one. Uh, and then, uh, if you just go back, the, the site, uh, the, if you just go back one picture, the site is next to, on the left there, the ruined Coventry Cathedral, and on the right, the new Coventry Cathedral, just click on one. Uh, and that's the inside of the ruined Coventry Cathedral. And there are actually three cathedrals on that site, and my house was, was built on um, the ancient ruins of the first great cathedral and also the burial place of Lady Godiva. None of this has any relevance to the sermon, but I just, just, like, it's just a bit of my story, so I'm just trying to be faithful to the whole story. <laughs> There's heckling here on the front row. Whilst I was in, in this job at this church, Holy Trinity Coventry, uh, I learnt something of the remarkable history of Coventry during the war. The day was the 14th of November, 1940. So 
almost exactly 76 years ago. And the week that followed that date was known as the Coventry Blitz. And at 7.20pm that night, 13 Heinkel planes dropped flares that marked the city and its major landmarks. And within hours, 500 Luftwaffe bomber planes flew over the city and dropped explosive bombs and fire bombs over the whole of the city. The city fire service was overwhelmed by the fires that were started by the incendiary uh, bombs, so most of the fires could not be tendered at all. And by 8pm that day, Coventry Cathedral was burning and was turned into the ruins that you saw on that picture. The two city hospitals were destroyed, the police stations destroyed, many public and civic buildings, schools and churches were destroyed that night. In that one night, 43,000 homes were destroyed. The entire city centre was levelled all except for one building. Come back to that. 568 people died that night. More than a thousand people were injured and the hospital destroyed uh, that night. Now, if you know the story of Coventry Cathedral, you know it has a redemption of its story. Uh, on the morning after that day, the Provost Richard Howard took two pieces of still smouldering wood and made them into a rudimentary cross shape and put them uh, where the altar had stood, where it had been destroyed. And he famously prayed, Father, forgive, because they know not what they do. And he preached a sermon where he said, one day the people of this city and this cathedral will be reconciled with those that sent the bombs. And that actually did happen. And Coventry Cathedral now actually has an international ministry in reconciliation and working for peace around the world. You've probably guessed that the building in the city centre that wasn't destroyed was in fact Holy Trinity Church, where 50 years later I came to work. And William, William Clitheroe, the vicar, was an incredible leader through that time of the war and the blitz of Coventry. He literally saved his church and he did it with four men. Himself, his curate, his son, and his verger. Come on. <laughs> and he had this simple plan. This was how they would overcome the firebombs from the German planes. Every night during the Blitz and leading up to when they thought it would happen, two men slept on the roof. They took bedding up there and they were armed with a shovel. Two men slept in the side chapel and they had buckets full of water and sand. And their plan was so simple. When the firebomb fell, the men on the roof would shout, scoop it in their shovel and throw it onto the ground below. And then one of the other two men, one on one side of the church and one on the other, would douse it with water or with sand. And in fact, the vicar mobilised many of his church to live out the same plan 
And many of the buildings that were, well, the buildings that were saved were either saved because nothing fell on them or because one of Clitheroe's church had saved it with this, just this simple plan. They knew the fire engines couldn't come to everyone, so they needed to provide a way to put out the fires. And the only damage to Holy Trinity Church was that its west window melted. And the only reason it melted it was that was the window that faced onto the cathedral. And so there's no way they could have prevented it, and they actually collected all the glass, and years later it was restored and put back. Holy Trinity was the sole surviving structure in a literally destroyed uh, building, as you've seen in the pictures that are on there. Ten days after that fateful night, Clitheroe put a sign up on his church. And this picture, you can't see it in that sign, but you can just make out there is a sign on the front of his church. Now picture, what's, picture what you would have seen a literally destroyed city centre. Every building, including the cathedral, ruined, hope lost, despair, people, lives wrecked, families with people that were dead. Incredible stories. There were stories in, in Clitheroe's church of, of the youth group that, that went to find the old people in the church that were housebound so that they wouldn't be afraid and two two girls in the youth group died that night they were the last things that were they were heard say they were called to go and help and sit with two old ladies who couldn't weren't well enough to be moved from their beds and they said as they went in live or die uh, we will be with you through this fateful night and then an, and other people in the church said they heard later on them singing worship songs during the night but a bomb did drop on them and, and they were killed. The city centre literally devastated. The vicar that had saved his church with a simple plan, and he hung on the front of his church a sign that said exactly this. It all depends on me, and I depend on God. Clitheroe, in a literal sense, understood the importance of the role of his church in that city in a time of terrible need. In a very different way, I want to say the same to you today. Our church and other churches in this city have an incredibly important role in this city and beyond. Probably one that we don't nearly enough recognize. I absolutely love G2. I love everything about G2. I even love it when the PA breaks and everyone has to figure out a different way to make the worship work and it's a bit cold because we left the door open for too long and we'll fix it, we'll sort that out, we'll try not to make that happen again. I love last week when we had G2 Central back and we heard their stories and looking at them and some of them think remembering when they rocked up as students and they just didn't know anything about anything and you know they're like could you help with coffee and it's like oh, oh that sounds scary what do I do and then now they're planting a church and reaching people and they're dreaming dreams about things that they're going to do I love that we're planning for Alpha and we're willing to upset our comfort and 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 disturb the niceness of what we've got in order to engage with a plan that's about the vision of reaching people. 
Um, I'm thinking at the moment about how, what's our plan for expanding because we've had some Sundays where we've nearly filled every seat and that's what they say if the room looks full people stop coming so you know how do we do that do we have another meeting do we go somewhere else how do, how do we work that through that's a great problem to have I love having those problems to think through and of course not everything's great I know you know there's sometimes the coffee runs out or you know sometimes something even bad happens or you know we forget to communicate something or usually that's me but you know I'm not saying like you know we're the perfect church we've got some great things we've got some average things we've got some probably rubbish things but I love our church and I see the importance of what we are doing in this city for the many people who live here who know nothing about God. Now, if, if just to set the context and, and to even make that point of importance even more, uh, you will be aware that the church in our nation is in turbulent times. And there are all sorts of struggles and ups and downs in terms of the church uh, understanding and engaging with its mission fruitfully wherever it is. Uh, the Church of England recently did a survey that, that showed that an, in the Church of England, an 18-year-old is eight times less likely to go to church than an 81-year-old. So we've got eight times as many 81-year-olds than 18-year-olds. Now, praise God for 81-year-olds, but we need a lot of 18-year-olds going to church. And in fact, the, the north-south split means probably where we are, that eight is more like a nine or a ten or something else. Uh, the Methodist Church as a denomination is closing a building a day on average in terms of managed decline. Uh, we know from Fusion that 73% of students often just walk away from their faith when they go to university because they just don't find somewhere to connect to or they haven't, they, they haven't been prepared or, or got ready for that. It's a huge challenge for any church in a university city to play their part in engaging with student mission. You may know that there's a new religious group, the fastest growing religious group in the Western world is a group called the Nons. And the Nons are the people who on the form where you tick religion just tick none of the above. Nons. And that's a religious affiliation and it's the fastest growing group and we used to talk about atheists and agnostics but now the nons we need to talk about the apathetic and they're people who don't feel a god-shaped hole they're not looking for a church that serves the right kind of donuts or that meets at a time that's convenient to them they're just not bothered and not interested and they need a whole different kind of mission and engagement to connect with I know we've built this as a giving talk and I'm just going to end by talking about the importance of giving at the very end. But actually what I felt stirred to talk about was the importance of church. And actually there's no point talking about giving if we're not thinking about the vision. So I kind of want to big up the big vision and say what we're doing is really important and therefore the money bit, the final bit, actually is really important for all of us. And in that reading that we heard that Freddie read um, to us, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that he uh, looks after. Uh, he's helped them through some of their problems, so they weren't a perfect church. They had all sorts of tricky things that he helped them with uh, that they were working through. And he's appealing to them to have an understanding of the big picture. 
He's trying to get them to look beyond the coffee and the donuts and the leaflets and uh, is it warm enough and actually to, to look out into the city and the regions that are beyond and catch a sense of what God might be calling them to do. He um, pulled a shoot a bit from the hip and uh, so he's quite critical of other leaders that he cites who he says measure themselves against themselves. It might seem a funny thing to, to say, but I've observed um, in, in a, denomin- a church denomination where there is decline, what happens is people re-measure the measures. Uh, so I know that the, the Church of England, I'm going to take this out of the re- recording, so on the podcast you won't hear this. Um, I know the Church of England um, uh, has, over the last 10 years, tweet how it measures attendance in order to count pe- you know, more people. And, uh, but I kind of feel, I said something the other day, I think we've run out of how to do that. You know, the only next step we could do is if, is, is if we count the people that don't go, then the numbers look not as bad as they might be. <laughs> but that's what happens when, when it's not going well. Often people just you know, shift the measures in order to make, so they measure themselves against themselves in order to make it not look as bad. Um, I had a friend who's uh, told me last year, just, it was in December, uh, and his bishop sent him an email saying, how's it going? So he replied back to the bishop and said, we've just had a notable mission influence over 8,000 people, bishop. And the bishop was absolutely delighted. And he told me about this, I said, 8,000, that's like, that's amazing. How did you do it? And he said, what we did is we paid a company to deliver a Christmas card. And I was like, well, that's pretty good. But, you know, if that's the measure of mission, we sent a Christmas card, you re- that really is a struggling um, outlook. Um, the other side of what Paul's trying to say is he's trying to bring something of that mission that he embodies as an apostle, which was for the church to understand that it had a calling to be sent to people. And of course, every uh, ministry has an influence on the church. The pastor wants to see people discipled and cared for. The teacher wants to see people uh, rooted in, screw, uh, in truth and, and, and uh, the scripture. The evangelist wants us to understand the importance and the effects of the gospel. The prophet wants to uh, encourage us to connect with God. But the apostolic heart is the heart that says, this is great, but there's so much out there that we need to be applying ourselves to, and we need to figure out how we connect with doing that. In the reading, Paul gives, I think, two points that stood out to me. And the first is this. He says, every church has a sphere of influence assigned to it. So every church has something that God has given it to grow into. The vision of the church is never what's just in the room. Uh, The vision of the church is never just what those that are part of the church are doing and involved in, though there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But what he's saying is, every church needs to work out what 
what things beyond them has God called them to expand into? And he calls it the sphere of influence and he talks in the reading about uh, moving into the regions beyond. He is not satisfied simply for a church to be a good church, but it's a good church if it actually wrestles with, let's not stay here, let's not just do this, let's not just make it good for us. Let's work out where and who God has called us to reach and then pass through the discomfort that is about working towards reaching those people. And then the second thing he says is that to every person in the church, they have a growing part to play. And that was the verse that stood out to me as I was thinking about today. Um, and in fact, we've written it on the front of the giving envelopes. He says to them, our hope is that as your lives grow in faith, you will play an increasing part within our expanding work or within the expanding work. He's kind of giving everyone in the church an understanding of what their journey should be. None of us should just go to church. None of us should just be in a church. We should all have that sense that my faith is growing. And as my faith grows, I will play an increasing part in not filling the road to all, you know, as important as those things are, but in expanding the work that God has given a church to do. God is our biggest resource. So in mission, uh, we always say it's God's mission and we follow after him. So God's, God's the head of the church, God's in charge of our church, God's the one that calls people to faith. God's the one that enables us to do great things in his name. The second most important um, resource in a church is the people, is you. So the, 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 the vision of the church is never them. It's never some other group of people who have a responsibility or a name or a, a role. The vision of the church is always in the collective of the people in the church because God is calling everyone to grow and increase in their faith so that they will have an increasing part in the mission that he is calling that church to. And then the third thing, of course, is that um, our resources that we bring to that vision are what enables it to happen. So, Tick, I've done my job for Giving Sunday. I've got you to the point where you understand that money is important to our vision. And actually, where we are as a church, uh, I think we have got so many great opportunities ahead of us. The limiting factor for us right now is actually what can we resource, both in terms of things that we can do with money, but also in terms of things that people need to lead to make it happen. And so God is calling us, probably through Alpha, probably through thinking about other places, probably through some of the things that you're involved in, to do more and it's the giving of ourselves with our hearts our time our ambition to grow in our faith our willingness to be used in increasing ways even to be sent out and do things that uh, stretch and challenge our comfort and ultimately to give our money to resource some of that that makes that happen 
Well, let me just chat about some of the practicalities of, of money before I hand over to the, uh, the guys. And um, the first thing I want to say about money is G2 is, is free. It always has been, and it always will be. Okay? Uh, you'll, you'll never get a collection tin shaken at the door. Um, there's no bowl to pay for the donut. Well, there's no donuts, but you know what I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sarah, Sarah made the cake. But you, you know what I mean, like, the coffee's free, the biscuits are free, the cake's free, the heating's free, though we wouldn't have charged you today if it was. <laughs> and the reason we want it to be free is the gospel is free. Yeah. God doesn't charge anyone to find out about him. So when we run Alpha, Alpha will be free. Because we're never going to be like, oh, thanks for coming to Alpha. Can you give us £10? Can you give us £100? Um, um, you know, we could every week, I think, pass a collection plate. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm sure our, we'd have more money if we did that. But right at the beginning, we just thought, do you know what? That might set the wrong tone. If someone's coming and never been to church before, and, and so for the first time, they, this is their experience of church, and then there comes that kind of sinking moment when they think, oh, yeah, of course, better put some money in. And they watch what happens. The first guy gives a pound. It's like poker, isn't it? first guy gives a pound. So you've got to up the ante, two quid. All right, Sarah's got to get out a note, five quid. Pressure's on Paul, tenner. And Matt's stuck with 20 quid. <laughs> And you feel that awkwardness of needing to give. And, it, you know, it's the brave person that just passes it along and smiles cheerfully. <laughs> so we could have done that, but we kind of just thought, do you know what, that's not the vibe we want to give out. We want to say, knowing God's free. There's a flip side to that, of course, which is when we give our lives to God, then we give him everything. And he says, brilliant, I'll have your life. Uh, I'd like your diary, your time, uh, your hopes, great. I'll have your hopes, your ambitions, family, friends, great. I'll have those. Job, brilliant, love that. House, car, neighbours, money, brilliant. You've come to me, so give me the whole lot. So the gospel is both free, but when we respond to the call of God that draws us in, it actually costs us everything. We give it all. Okay. And I'm so glad somebody told me that really early on at the beginning. It made giving money um, easier. Uh, I didn't have to worry about, is it, is it five pounds this week or could I just do two? Um, I realized, okay, all the money's God's. If I get a good job, if it's a well-paid job or a not-paid job or whatever it might be, it's all God's money anyway. I'm just figuring out how does he want me to use all the things that he's given to me. So a few practical things about um, our money. Um, at the moment, our, our income is a little bit lower than what we spend each month, by about 500 pounds. And that's just because givers change, come and go, etc. cetera. Um, partly some of the things we're doing, we've funded from offerings that we've had uh, a year ago, so we're still doing some of that. So we've got some money built up. We're not gonna go bankrupt anytime soon. But like any person, uh, you, we basically wanna live with that, live, live on our income, not live on our savings. So there is an immediate uh, need or opportunity for our giving to go up um, by about £500 a month. Um, I said there, there's more we could do and I, 
uh, in a some sense, that's that's about predicting the unknown. But let me let me throw out a few things about what we could do that are things that will cost us money. We want to run alpha, okay? And to do some of the things that we're talking about probably could cost us a minimum of £3,000 to do. And depending on how it works and the numbers and how many through the year, it could be more of that. So alpha's free for our guests. (laughs) But to run alpha, we need to find some funds to do that. Uh, We need to get some new equipment like... um, (laughs) that's all right that's a cheap fix i think um uh, but we also need to sort out a projector and a few of the things that we know we need to use this building well and to make it a quick setup for the team so there's some of those things um g2 central who were here last week we would really love to enable them to have a one day a week worker it'd be a starter salary it'd just be one day a week but that would help them grow and develop, particularly as Josh and Ellie are about to have a baby, Josh has started lecturing full-time, he's going to train for ordination, so the balance of time that's available in the leadership, they needed just a little bit of help with that. One day a week is not a lot, but we'd love to make it possible to do that. Um, we're thinking about, can we, can we create some internships for next year? So maybe graduating students that might stay on and get uh, an, a developmental experience, an opportunity. Um, so they fund some of that themselves usually, but there is usually central costs as well to do that. We would love to n- not, not limit what we do by wondering, oh dear, we can't afford to do that. We would love to think through some of the opportunities for that. And also, as I've said, um, it may be fairly soon, like within the next few months, we need to figure out how can we make it possible for more people to be in the room. Does it need to be another room? Do we need to have different times? And some of those options may just require some startup cash as well. And I think as well, do you know what? I think there's just some more things that I don't really know what they are yet, and maybe you don't know what they are yet, but God's got an, in- an increasing sphere of opportunity that he wants to draw us into. Um, now, if we can stick the numbers up on the screen, um, everyone loves the giving report, so I'm just going to talk you through uh, some of the uh, numbers. Um, so, uh, we've broken down the current givers uh, according to four groups um, in the church, and I'll talk you through the numbers for that. Um, by the way, our giving is handled by St. Michael of Belfry. Uh, the finance team are the only people that know um, who how much you're um, giving Um, so um, I'm not like I don't have a list with a a number next to your uh, name Um, the finance team handle all that but they've provided me with um, some of these numbers Um, the families, uh, these are monthly amounts uh, are giving £2,219 a month and then I've put that there's 13 of 23 there so that means there are 23 families in the church, that's either couples or individual. So if it's a couple, that's counted as one. If it's an individual, that's counted as one. So it's more than 23 people, but 23 u- units. And usually when uh, a family or a couple give, um, usually it goes in the name of one person, but obviously it's from both of them. So I think, I think my giving, Amanda does it. So technically I give nothing. <laughs> and Amanda's hugely generous. <laughs> Uh, but in reality, that's from both of us as our gift Thank you. to God through uh, G2. But that would be counted as one. 
So um, 13 of the uh, 23 families, that's 57% of the families are current giving, currently giving. The 20s and 30s give 1,785, and then based on that number that I've just explained to you, that's 16 uh, out of 40 possible uh, givers, individuals, or um, uh, couples. Students are giving 551 pounds. Can I just say, and Luke said this about a year ago, but some of you won't have heard of it, um, the norm in any church that we know of, and we've got contacts with lots of churches, is that normally students don't give. So actually when I texted that number to Adam in the week, he was like, wow, that is amazing. I am so proud of the students, and I want to say the same. Like, we are so proud that uh, just 12 students are giving £551 a month. Now, just to help you students, um, your numbers have gone down because, A, some graduating students have moved on, so that goes off that number. Also, some of you have stuck around, in which case we've added you into the 20s and 30s um, column because you're not technically students anymore. So actually, that is a more impressive number um, because student giving will always be seasonal and fluctuate through the terms of the academic um, year. And so we know there are a whole load of new students. You haven't been around long, so you're, you're at the stage where GT is free. The coffee's free, the donuts are free. It's okay, so you get that. Uh, so students, well done. And then lastly, G2 uh, Central are currently giving 350 a month. Uh, there are three givers out of 25. Um, I've just queried one of those numbers with the finance team because we think it might be a little bit more, but that's the information that we were giving. G2 Central, roughly, their giving roughly equals their costs. So, um, to us, they're not a cost. Um, their giving uh, currently covers that. And actually, I've given Josh uh, a giving target that's his goal, and they're going to figure out the right way to communicate that to G2 Central. A lot of the people that have joined the initial seven uh, that were sent out to plant that uh, are people who have absolutely no past church background. And so that journey to being a financial giver inevitably just takes uh, longer. Also, it's a new community, so that sense of what they're giving to takes um, a little bit longer um, to come, but I'm confident that will increase, and I'm keen we could help them with a day a week worker, which might help them as well to grow into some of that.